Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 98, Don't Count on Any Long Goodbyes. This week we're discussing series 7, episode 5 of Doctor Who, The Angels Take Manhattan, and season 1, episode 20 of Angel, War Zone. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Uh, the Angels Take Manhattan. Um, they do. And of course, when I hear that, I think of like the Muppets Take Manhattan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, it's just like the Muppets, but with weeping angels. Yeah, pretty much the same thing. Uh so, I well, I think you had some production notes before we kind of get into what I wanted yeah. to start off with. Yeah, just a couple things. Um, this was uh, a 2013 Hugo nominee. Um, so the second in this year for Moffat and uh, hmm. Nick Horan, um, you know, who we've noted as an important director. And so they also both worked on uh, Asylum of the Daleks earlier in the year um it is even though we're not halfway through the season it's sort of a mid-season finale basically um you know we have a kind of a dramatic you know departure of some important characters um Mm -hmm. and so the season takes a little break here and uh so this premiered on september 29th um of 20 uh 12 um and uh was so there's no new episodes until christmas so just a short little break um and then so we'll have another christmas special (laughs) just to confuse just to confuse everybody second christmas special technically that's part of series seven um Mm. and then it'll pick up with new episodes for the 2013 which is the the 50th anniversary year yeah Um, it's okay so we'll be heading into that. Um, and uh, just want to mention, too, that they did film a lot of this episode in New York, as you can tell. So, again, with the, like, expanded budget, expanded, you know, production, they can kind of go to more exciting places. And, um, you know, they go and film in America and, you know, after having been told nobody in America knows who you are, you know, they go to film in New York City and have mobs of fans sort of waiting around the corner. So the popularity, again, is kind of booming. Um, And so the last thing I want to mention, too, is uh, the the book that, uh, you know, River or Melody Malone writes um, called The Angel's Kiss. You can actually purchase as a tie-in novel um, I haven't read it, um, but I always see it. So maybe sometime I should grab it and see what it's like. Um, sure. But uh, there's a couple little spin-off tie-in things that come out around this time, and that's one of them. So um, I don't quite know how it works. Like with, is it? I don't think it's just the story of the episode. I imagine there's some other type of narrative that's woven in there. But anyway, um, you know, it's pretty interesting. I'll link to it so you can go on Amazon and sort of download that and check it out nice um so after that brief intro uh instead of muppets we do have angels so where would you like to start (laughs) well 
you're anticipating me because, of course, that's where I would like to start <laughs> with the yeah. angels. Um, so, actually, recently we we posted our discussion with um, with Corey. Uh, Corey Olson, the Tolkien professor, and mm-hmm. his initial viewing of Doctor Who. Uh, I think he was up to like the early episodes of season two, so we didn't get real yeah. far um, into into like the whole story and everything. But one of the things we did talk about was uh, how, with some of the classic monsters uh, like the Daleks, mm-hmm. that the more familiar they become, sort of the less scary and effective as mm-hmm. uh monsters they become and and also and so and not just the more we see them but also like the more that are actually seen on screen so like you mm-hmm. know i think with the first episode of dalek you have like a dalek one dalek yeah <laughs> and that's really kind of weird and creepy and we talk you know we talked about how like it was really eccleston's performance mm-hmm. that sells it as well because it's like yeah there's this Dalek and it looks like a 1960s robot and you're kind of like, okay. But then like his fear, he's just so good at like really portraying, you know, the, his fear of it and whatever. But then yeah. like by the time we get to the end of like, even like series two, mm. which we didn't talk about with Olsen, but you know, we know because we've seen sure. it. Uh, you have like, millions of Daleks spewing out of this, you know, Time Lord, yeah. you know, thing or whatever. And it's like, I get, and even like by the end of series one, where, where you have like the Emperor Dalek and like all of these, you know, ships and stuff, like, it's just kind of like, okay. Yeah. They're, they're Daleks. The doctor wipes them all out again. And uh-huh. it's like, you know, not really a huge, yeah. like scary type of thing. Unfortunately, I feel mm. that way about the angels as well. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to feel that way about them because yeah. we've had them in a few episodes now. And like Blink was great and mm-hmm. scary and creepy. And, you know, I mean, there was more than one, but I think like what there were like four, you know, right? Because you right. had like the sort of ending with like the Mexican standoff sort of yep, angel yep, style. Where they stare at each other. Yeah. And, and so, like, there weren't a whole lot of them, but, you know, you did need more than, like, one, I guess, just for the narrative of the episode. But it, it Well, worked but that, that episode is so minimalist in every yeah. way, you know. Right. It uses them so, it introduces them so gradually, right. you know. It's not until that last, what, like, five minutes that you even see the, like, snarling monster face, you know. Right, right, right. Like, it... it, it uses them so kind of uh just subtly and quietly and everything you know so when we see you know when we pick them up again later um with i I forget the name of the episode but you know where there's like the ship there that crashes the time of angels and um, uh in flesh and and stone yeah and right and the subsequent one like there's still it's not like I mean, they're still scary, you know, whatever. But you also, like, well, and we even talked about, like, the whole, like, the moving Mm. aspect of Mm -hmm. it or whatever. Like, you start demystifying them a bit, Mm -hmm. you know. And and I think that, well, not only that, demystifying, but you even see, like, 
um, the cleric there who like gets captured, you know, by one of the angels, but like the angels touching him, but he doesn't get set back in time yet. So then you start like questioning and there's a whole, like, like the new aspect of like, if they get into your eye, then they don't leave, you know, aspect to it, which completely is missed here. Yeah. So like, there's just like these other, aspects to it that kind of get added that are less effective than the already quite effective. And, and, and the, Oh, the other aspect I was thinking about it, which I thought about a few times while watching this episode was sort of what you pointed out. Um, I think about the, um, the sort of meta nature of the angels in the first episode, where it's almost like even in situations where, the characters might not be looking at it. When we see the angels on screen, we're looking mm-hmm. at them. So like, mm-hmm. they're still kind of, so, so like, and we talked about how that wasn't like with seeing them actually move in the, the next time around, it's kind of like, well, that kind of destroys that a little bit, but then like this right. time around, we go back to almost that same thing. Cause there's moments where like the characters aren't looking at the statue of Liberty, but right. it's not moving, you know? Right, so like right. that kind of thing. Um, right, Moffat kind of backs off from some of the like weirder things he did, and I'm not weird could be like good or bad depending on your sure. opinion. But like, I think from the very logical first appearance in Blink, where they like had a very strict set of rules that they obeyed, and then in the second appearance, whether it's the like getting into your eye and all that, or like the being able to move even when we can see them and everything it's like suddenly they start to like those to me are just kind of trippier weirder stranger bending the rules kind of Mm -hmm. things that he like he kind of almost throws the rules out the window a little bit and says like well whatever you think you know you know no they can also do this stuff and he seems to kind of back off from that a bit like you know for whatever reason they kind of go back to their more traditional mm-hmm. roles, I guess. Yeah. Um, where it's just about sending you back in time and they, and we don't see them do any, break any rules of like motion or whatever. Right. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot more of them that we're dealing with this time around. And so I still feel like you get that diminishing return a bit. Yeah. Um, and then the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. Which is, like, so even if, like, in numbers it didn't quite work, like, it also doesn't work when you, like, make it really big. And so here's the other question that I sort of had. And I, I didn't quite get this from before. So in, in Blink, it's sort of implied that these are creatures that turn to stone when you look at them. But there was no indication that they were actually statues. Like, they were statues that creatures took over. Right. This, they seem to imply exactly the opposite. That that they're some sort of beings that almost, like, possess existing statues. Right. And And that seems like a shift. I think you're right. I think you're right. The, The only... Thing which I think you could read this way, and I don't think it 
invites you to at the time, but maybe in retrospect, you could kind of read it, um, is at the end of Blink, when you get all the shots of all the statues all over the city. Yeah. So suddenly it's not just these beautiful angelic statues. It's like the gargoyles or the, you know, statues of but I little took, kids and stuff. I took that more ambiguously. No, as, I do too. As, yeah. as a, because you can't distinguish between angels and any, statues. Yeah. That any of these could be angels. Not that. Right. Angels could inhabit any could of these statues. Them. Yeah. I think that's definitely how it's meant at the time. You know, I think maybe you, I just think maybe you could kind of try to retcon that in, you know. So, you can try to retcon anything. <laughs> no, and, and I don't think that means that that's what Moffat intended at the time. You know, yeah, I think I, it could be Moffat going back and adding to his own mythology, you know, but I, I, I don't think it's, I'm not saying that's what he meant when he wrote Blink. No, I, I know. And I don't, I mean, we've talked about sort of authorial intent and stuff before, like right. I, regardless of what he meant, I just, I think, I think it, it becomes a different thing this yeah. time around. Yeah. No. Um, and that's what I mean by a retcon. I think Moffat well, is same as with his, same as with his, you know, except I don't adding to the mythology before. I think he's. I'm not saying it's successful, but I think he's playing with his own like ideas and and whether or not they work. I think he at least isn't. He's maybe at least trying to sort of add something different when he brings the monsters back and i don't know that it always does work like i have said before i wish they didn't move in flesh and stone yeah to me that's i i dislike that change but i you know i at least don't dislike the idea of if he's going to bring back his own monsters trying to do something you know yeah, I'm, Although, I, what I'm he not does... opposed to to, to yeah. doing different things with monsters per se or whatever, and and I mean, I, I certainly don't mean to imply that this problem only occurs with the angels. I mean, we've sort of, I, but I think, yeah, I think as far as like, I I think I I don't know. I see, even though it's very brief explanation, I see the explanation of like the angels sort of inhabiting statues versus being indistinguishable yeah. from statues as like a huge sort of shift in the very essence of their being. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So like, yeah. You know, when I think about, when I think about it that way, like I think that's really big and I have to really think about like whatever. Now, does that ruin the story for me? No, I still love Blink, and I actually quite like the story here too. So I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm not even trying to imply that like I think it ruins a story, or whatever. But I, right. I do think it's worth acknowledging that like the this is a very drastic understanding of mm. of how the angels are. Now, can I can I try to? Uh, you know, combine those into sort of a unified theory, I suppose. I mean, maybe it's, maybe they're different species of angels and, you know, maybe right. there's like different, 
maybe there are certain types of angels that do get in your eye and never come out. And maybe there are certain types of angels that inhabit statues versus only look like statues. And like, you know, we get different species like the Cybermen are different in one universe than another. You know what I mean? So like, that's not unprecedented, but I feel like when you have to start making those sorts of like, well, it could be this or could be that from a viewer's perspective, Mm -hmm. that indicates more maybe a little bit laziness in the storytelling consistency on the parts of the writers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just just my thought. But like I said, I mean, I don't... It doesn't ruin Blink. I still like that as an episode. And I still think this episode has a lot of strong points. So maybe I belabored it too much. But um, I did at least want to acknowledge that it feels like there are, are a few things. One of them being just the fact that there are more angels that we sort of see and, and yeah. menace the, the viewers or the, uh, well, menace the viewers, I guess, menace the characters. I mean, um, and also I'm, I'm not entirely convinced that the Statue of Liberty needed to be one of them. Yeah. I have a distinct memory of seeing that for the first time and sort of groaning, <laughs> It's almost a kind of a, oh no, give me a break kind of thing. Um, and I love a good, big, clever, goofy gag. And there's a, there's a part of me that is really amused by this, by the, the Statue of Liberty bit. And then there's a part of me that kind of goes, Ooh, that's a, that's a hair too far. Um, I don't know quite where the line is, but, but I think, she crossed it. Um, and again, like with the rules and everything, like, and I'm not normally a stickler for the rules, but for some reason to me, the weeping angels are such creatures of logic that I get annoyed when there are rules that are violated, that this idea that like, this just bothers me from a logical point of view that the doctor says something about New York is the best food source because it's the city that never sleeps. And to me, that makes the worst food source because people have their eyes open. Yeah, but there's people no, around all I, the time. I and actually it's like, thought I get, there's that a same lot thing. of there's a lot of people in a concentrated space. That makes sense. But surely you want them to go to sleep so that you can steal them. And so it always just bothers me. Like, how does the Statue of Liberty get like across surely the, the bay? Reason, surely <laughs> the reason that if the statue if the Statue of Liberty Here's what I like, okay? I like the idea that the Statue of Liberty is a weeping angel. What I don't like is how easy it is for her to get around. I kind of like the idea that she's a weeping angel, but she never, ever moves because somebody is always looking at her. Sure. Like, that to me is a fantastic idea. But it it seems like like she just strolls across, you know, the, the... the Hudson the harbor, every time, yeah. or the East River, whatever it is, yeah. every time she needs to get to right. this, you know, apartment building. No, like, I had that same exact. And sort it's of like poem. I wish they work. I wish he figured out a way to work the idea in without having to like show it. You know, like, and to me that would have made a big difference. But yeah, you know, and the like, and the thing is, like, you could even get around explaining, it. like, maybe like they've been in this one time period so long that like this particular year, right. That's like sort of surrounded by time distortions 
is completely devoid of human. So they, so that that's why they have other angels sending people back to this time period who then get sent back again. Right. Like, like right. you could, you could sort of generate theories and circumstances that would explain that. But again, I feel like in order to do that, you have to do so much work as a viewer hmm. that it, it becomes like, well, did they like with these particular aspects anyway, you know, did they just sort of, cop out and not really think it through all the way. Mm. Um, and I, I think that's, I think the thing that irritates me about that is because I know how good a storyteller Moffat can be. Mm, and I, yeah. I hate it when there are these holes yeah. that, that seem so obvious to me, like looking at it and it's just like, how, how can you not have like seen that? Or did you see it and just ignore it? Or are you just, are you like trying to be too clever for your own, like good that's certainly the question that the moffat critics would you know aim at him now and i i think it's a valid one i think the difference between the moffat fans and the moffat critics are that the critics take that as proof that he was never ever a good writer he's just nothing but clever ideas and like this is and whereas like you know a defender would say okay like yeah, but it doesn't take away from the brilliant stuff that he's done and that sure. occasionally he does get run away with his own ideas and that's because he has a lot of good ones. Right. Um, and he doesn't, you know, of course he goes overboard sometimes, but that's what you do when you are really excited and have a lot of ideas, yeah. you know. Um, so I don't think there's a huge disagreement there. It's just sort of what do you want to do with that, with that evidence, yeah. you know. And I think, too... In particular, season seven that we're in is probably like, in some ways, the worst offender. Like I've yeah, I've sure. mentioned the fact that like, you know, big punchy ideas is kind of the the theme of the season. You know, and and um and no two parters, and you know everything with like really like exciting movie poster style things. Yeah. Um. And so. In season seven, you just feel the, in, in certain episodes, some work better than others, but in certain episodes, the, the story just goes faster and faster and faster and faster. And there's not always a lot of time to like breathe or, mm -hmm. you know, or spend some time on, you know, the world building or some of the, the more, you know, like things where we would expect to take a little bit of time and maybe think about it. You know, it's more just, no, don't think, just barrel ahead, and isn't this thrilling? And, like, it's all about the pace. Yeah, um, yeah. So, well, and and so, like, on that note, like, I could, you know, so, like, we know, you know, dinosaurs on a spaceship was, like, yeah. the line that yeah. he gave. Like, I could yeah. almost, I'm not saying this is, because I don't know, and, like, I think this is a better story than that one, but, like, mm -hmm. I could almost see him starting like having the idea one night. I don't know. Maybe he was high or something. And you like, whoa, what angel if the Statue of Liberty was an angel? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now write yeah. an episode right. where that's around the case. that. Yeah. 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 Like, so I could, I could almost, because we know he's I, done it before. I, I could almost I see that being the him. nugget, yeah. Yeah. you know? And then, yeah. so, okay, well, how does that happen? Well, the, the, Maybe it's not that the angels look like statues. Maybe they actually inhabit statues and maybe blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. there's this whole other, like, 
realm of story building that like has to get him to that point right. that maybe he ignores some of that others. Again, right. I don't know that that's what happened. I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm just saying I could see that being the case. Mm-hmm. And and Okay. You know, whatever. Like I I don't I didn't mean to like you know, throw feces at it for 20 minutes or whatever, but like I felt like we at least needed to kind of bring that up. I think um, so, yeah. Um, and and like <laughs> I sort of in the same kitschy mode, but I actually kind of liked it. <laughs> So, you know, this, again, this is all just preference. It's not like, whatever. But I kind of like that the baby angels are like the little cherub, you know, like. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I do too. That was pretty funny. Um, Give give him to the babies. Yeah. Yeah. And, (laughs) and like the thing that you don't know is like, are they actually baby angels? Right. Is is this what a baby would be? Or is it just that these are angels who happen to inherit the. Right. Or inhabit these little cherub statues and right again quite now. which i've said before on our podcast again the the childish creepy laughter in the dark or like that you can't yeah. see the source of is always always creepy. way effective at yeah yeah bringing the creep yeah the little pitter patter of feet you know kind of chucky like in the dark yep um, yep uh yeah no i do I agree. That's a that's a a good level of kitsch. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And and you you get the same like you you almost get the same sense of like in Blink where they're in the basement and the lights sort of flickering on and out yeah. with Rory striking mm-hmm. the matches over and over and then the one angel who like blows it out. You're <laughs> yeah. like, oh, it it is weird and or you know kind of kitschy or whatever. But I actually like that whole part. So. Yeah. Yeah. Take my take my complaints for what they're worth. Um, yeah. No. I mean, I think as always with Moffat, his ideas are nuts, you know, and so it's just occasionally he goes, you know, like he's experimental, so some experiments work better than others. But I think I think we appreciate yeah the ideas anyway. Um. So. As far as, I mean, I don't have much more to say about the angels themselves mm-hmm. um, other than my complaints about it. I mean, I you know, I think all the normal mechanics of how we see the angels are all there and yeah. sort of the situation of either preying on people who are already in that time of New York or sending people back to that time to then mm-hmm. also be sent back further. That's kind of, like we Like, we hadn't seen that before. You could almost imagine, like, a conveyor belt throughout history of mm. like angels at different points in time and a Sending person just keeps getting other. sent yeah. back yeah. and back back you know um no and that is a the, again like adding to the mythology that's yeah. a great idea you know yeah it, like it, that actually like it, seems pretty like, it doesn't it have work. to be like a hit and run like the doctor says that they can like figure out a way to farm people <laughs> yeah. and keep living off the which, same person over and over which again. is it, itself kind of you know, just adds a level of creep factor. Like, it's not even just like, you know, predators sort of out hunting, you know, individuals. It's it's this very, uh, almost like the silence. Like, they're always there, mm-hmm. you know, throughout history. And these people just, like, like well, we were just talking about this HBO miniseries, The Jenks, where, you know, there's um, this guy, Robert Durst, who's 
you know, long been suspected of having killed his wife who disappeared. But you could almost imagine like them using like the angels to like explain like these weird disappearances mm. that have never been solved, you know, throughout history right. of people and yeah, like that sort of thing. Um, cause like in all of the scenarios where we've seen them, they only sent, they only seem to send people back far enough to where they could feasibly still be alive at the time from which they were sent back. Mm. Like, like, at least, maybe not in every case. Like maybe, right? Maybe that's not always right. the case. Not but, like hundreds of years back into history. But yeah, like, like, um, I mean, in this case, like we see the one private investigator who gets sent back and then like sees his older self, or right. after he sees his older, you know, whatever. The, however, the time frame works out. But and the same thing with Rory. Like Rory gets sent back, but he's still alive. Yes, very old, but. Um, and we saw the same thing in Blink with mm-hmm. uh, the detective there, you know, who gets sent back and then becomes yep. like the videographer or whatever. Um, yep. Or the yep. and, producer. And Kathy, too. Sally's friend, Kathy. Yeah. Um, that she's, she's, she doesn't quite, I mean, she's dead, but she is able, like, it's pretty close. Like, she has her yeah. grandson. Like, her grandson is so extremely It's old, within, so, like, a yeah. generation or two. Yeah. yeah like, right. If you, and, like, Right. It might have just have been by a couple of years. Like, you know, it may not have been even that long. So, yeah, just definitely. Like the angels don't ever seem to send people like way back in time Mm -hmm. um, as far as that goes. Anyway. We spent half our time talking about the angels Mm -hmm. when I only meant to bring up like a couple points, but. um, Good, good, good scenario. I mean, I, I still like to see the angels. I. You know, I'm not saying I never want to see them again, but I do think there's like the tendency to want to sort of top yourself or like mm. build on things does yeah. sequelitis in in a yeah sequelitis. That's a good way to put it. Like not you know with the angels with the Daleks, even with the Cybermen to a bit. You know, like it there does seem to be some diminishing returns there. So I can yeah. On the one hand, I can understand the the want to bring them back, but also the want to change them but on the other hand it's like sometimes maybe that takes that maybe sometimes they don't put as much work into it as they should mm. to do it the right way mm-hmm. um so, i don't know yeah. anyway um grail wanted to talk about him briefly he collects yeah. things one of the things he collects is an angel right and that brings all the other angels well, I guess multiple, because he has, like, the babies in the basement, you know? Right, so, right. Like, he's found a few of them, I guess. But uh, I don't know that there's a ton to say about him other than that he's sort of, like, he's the device. Yeah. You know, yeah, he, he's of sort of, he, in a way, he, yeah, he's like, he's, it's almost like he's the MacGuffin this week, you know, like. Right, the, right. The well, it kind of is appropriate for, you know monsters which appear to be statues that like right. somebody would try to collect them at some point um he actually just kind of you know has the same sort of uh kind of arrogance and cruelty of i, I can't remember the character's name but isn't it a collector in dalek too that he's you yeah. know that kind of billionaire right. who has his like bunker and all right. the like alien artifacts that he's like this guy is collecting you know 
antiques more than alien artifacts. You know, he doesn't quite seem to know what he's got. It. He knows there's something weird about them, but um, mm-hmm. but the same sort of thing. And like, you know, similarly, like a bad guy too. Like it's not just oh, he's some collector who stumbled into the angels. It's like he's like cruel. Like he tortures the angel to see if it can feel pain, and you know mm-hmm. he throws you know, Rory into the basement with the babies, knowing that they'll get him and everything. So, you know. Yeah. Collectors are usually bad guys in Doctor Who. I don't know why, but. Well, and they're like, it's like they're extremely rich. Yeah. Like you kind of get that like anti. Yeah. Not maybe not anti-capitalist, but like anti like. uh, I don't know. What's what's the word? Like tycoon. (laughs) Sure. you know sort of feel to it um and this is like we, we don't ever find out what grail actually does right because i i don't think i so. do i almost get like a mobster sense from him yeah like, yeah well. well his his kind of goons are sort of yeah. mobster yeah yeah so like definitely has the feel of like illicit wealth not just wealthy yeah. but like illicit wealth and and that he's he's above the rules and you know, all this kind of stuff that kind of goes along with that attitude. Well, and I wanted to mention that goes in with the fact that like, uh, the whole episode again, with the kind of movie poster style of, of this season, the whole thing is sort of film noir, you know, like Mm -hmm. now East coast rather than West coast, you know, not quite exactly like angel, but like the same sort of thing of like, you know, you get P private eyes and, you know, uh, that kind of 19 set in like 38 or whatever. And, um, you know, yeah, the, the, I, I mean, just the way it's shot, but the, the mobster bad guy would fit in with that too. He would be kind of the right sort of, you know, villain for that type of piece. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't have a ton to say about him, I guess, but just other than that, he's sort of the impetus that brings things together in this episode. Um, mm-hmm. So moving on to the more important part in the, le- <laughs> in the second half of the our discussion. Half, yeah. um, I, you know, I don't know how to talk about the Doctor, River, Amy, and Rory without just, like, talking about them all together. So yeah. I'm not going to try to go, like, character by character. Yeah. Um, but, but at the same time, you kind of have to. <laughs> um, so, like, starting with, like, the opening with where, I mean, you in a way, you kind of have all four of them together because you have the Doctor... Mm-hmm. And Amy, you know, the doctor reading out loud and Amy kind of getting angry with him and, and Rory right. trying to stay out of their argument and discussions. Right. Um, but of course, they're, you know, River's sort of there in spirit because they're reading the book that she that we later find out that she wrote right. uh, about the whole adventure and stuff. Um, so let, let's see, what do we like? One, we get, we've been getting this sense all along that like, you know, Amy and Rory are kind of, they're getting older. They're, they're moving mm. on in years into their thirties. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Not their thirties. Uh, no, but but yeah. we, I mean. That's a big deal 30, for Amy like, and Rory. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, I mean, we know it's been 10 years, right? In the last episode, right. isn't that what she said? That, mm-hmm. that they, and 
did we ever establish the exact age at which like she first sort of travels with the doctor not obviously he sees her when she's young you know i think i forget how we worked this out but i think we were saying like very early 20s like maybe 21 22 so yeah okay So still, you know, so early 30s, but still 30s. Amy has to wear glasses now. Like, right. you know, and and the doctor says her, her, her it makes her eyes look liney. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, she's she's getting a few wrinkles here yep. and there, you know, whatever. which I mean. OK, like, obviously, whatever. I, I just had a co-worker who turned 30 last weekend and I just shook my head and I said, I wish I was 30 again. You know what I mean? Like, come on. Like, yeah. it's not that big of a deal. But no, it no, is and I think when it's that... sort of happening to you and, and there's clocks ticking, I guess, and sure, you know, sort sure. of th- that kind of thing going along with it. And I, and I think, too, the age is uh, less important than the concept. Because, like, again, aging and growing up is such a huge part of the pawn's story. Sure. So what age they are, I think, it, like, it could be any age. I mean, you could do this story with them turning, you know, 30 or you know, 40 or whatever. I don't think, I think what's important is taking the pawns from, you know, seven-year-old Amelia to, you know, 30-something, 30 30 30 yeah. you know, uh, you know, and I, I want to bring this up because I don't want to forget, you know, the, the the evolution, this, I didn't point this out, I, you know, somebody else pointed this out online, so I'm not taking credit for this, but the evolution of Amy's name as being kind of a marker of her growing up, you know, so you start out with Amelia Pond, which the doctor says is like a fairy tale name, and then, you know, she drops the, the, fairy tale Amelia so she's just Amy now and the doctor's like okay he's not he liked it better when it was Amelia um but she keeps she keeps the fairy tale pond and drops the Amy and then there's a period when she's first married where they're referring to her as like you know Amy Williams so she has this like married name you know which is Amy Williams is a little too grown up it's a little too mundane um but then we find you know, kind of at the end that she's Amelia Williams on her gravestone. So she's, you know, the married woman, but who has the The fairy tale, tale, retains, you know, regains her sort of fairy tale roots. Mm. So I think all that to say, like, yeah, like, okay, you know, she has reading glasses and lines around her eyes. And, you know, that's, that's a big deal because of how far Amy's come and like the fact that this is the exit of the ponds, you know, um, having them be kind of fully grown people, mm. you know, I think is important. Sure. Sure. And, um, like, I'm, you know, and it's obviously been a gradual thing. Like in the last episode, we, we saw them like, Oh, I made plans for months down the road. And right. Like I, I actually like I expect that I'll be here for that um, and and being okay with that like it's there's also that sort of um, you know acceptance of 
you know, that you're growing older and that's okay. And the things mm-hmm. you'd like to do now are different than the things you'd like to do when you were 20, 21, 22. And yeah. those are fine things per se, but that, that sense that, you know, you still like to go off and have a good time with the doctor once in a while and that kind of thing too. Mm-hmm. So like, um, that's all sort of, I think like you're there cause you know, at the beginning, what are they doing? They're doing the mundane thing, right? It's a, mm-hmm. it's a picnic in the park. Um, mm-hmm. Not that picnics in the park aren't nice, but they're not especially adventurous. Right. You know, and even if it is sort of in a different... I, we don't even know if they're in a different time. Like, are they... I think they are in our time. I think they make a reference to okay. being in, like, 2012 yeah, I or whatever. I couldn't yeah. remember exactly if they did or not, but, like... Just the look of it seems like modern, yeah. like yeah. contemporary. So, yeah, like you're not especially out, you know, saving worlds and doing it. You're having a right. picnic in the park, you know, possibly just down the street from their house. Like they're yeah. not, you know, and OK, so then they end up getting thrown into this uh, adventure. But right. As usual. But it's not. It's not as usual. That's, I guess that's maybe the thing where I'm trying to point out is that mm. it's not as usual because they're not out and about looking and traveling. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's it's just the doctor maybe has come to visit. I, we don't know. Like, this is all just speculation yeah. on my part. But, it, but it's not that Amy and Rory are traveling with the doctor looking for adventure. It's, sure. that, it's that they're they're in a park relaxing and having a nice conversation and being playful and stuff. But again, not especially adventure. So I guess that's, that's what I'm sort of struggling yeah. to say and get across is, is just that it's the, you know, it's this very mundane sort of thing. And so you get this sense that, and we already know that they've been thinking about stopping and, and, you know, Amy sort of admits that to the doctor last time, like, mm-hmm. you know, all this stuff. Um, so here's the thing you you texted like when we were texting back and forth after I had seen the episode, mm-hmm. um, you asked if I was surprised by what happens at the end, which is that they get sent back in time and can the doctor can never see them again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said, I said I was because I was actually expecting last episode for mm-hmm. it to be their last one. And then it wasn't. And so I was like, oh, OK, well, like, I mean. I do know that Clara is coming up at some point soon, <laughs> like mm-hmm. or soon is a relative term. I didn't sure. know when or how, you know, the doctor would meet it. You know, I knew, um, I didn't know, like, I mean, if you had mentioned to me beforehand that this was like a mid season finale episode, then I might've been like, Oh, okay. Well then this might be the episode where they leave or something. Yeah, I kind of deliberately so, didn't mention yeah. that. <laughs> and, and that's fine. Like yeah. I wouldn't necessarily expect, you know, you to do that, but, um, you know, I, because it didn't happen last time, I kind mm-hmm. of expected it to go on for more than at least one more episode. Like, yeah. And so, so good. You got me there, Moffat. Um, you know, like that's, that's fine or whatever. But uh, yeah, so I, I was a bit surprised by it happening and, and it happening the way it did because I, I was expecting it to be a, you know, we can't, or won't or don't want to travel with you anymore, doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a, we're now trapped in this particular timeline right. and 
you know, aren't able to anyway. So, yeah. 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 Well, yeah. So a couple things again with the, just to bring the angels back up again. I think it's kind of appropriate that if, you know, Amy and Rory were going to get kind of quote killed, mm. you know, off by a, which, you know, we talked back in blink about how, effectively you know those are deaths at least for the survivor you know that yeah i mean not to amy and rory they go on to live a long happy life it sounds like but from the doctor's point of view effectively you know mm. they both die in this episode you know um if that's yeah. gonna happen what, it, what, it, what's it, the way he phrases it something like what you know they you live to death or something like, yeah, like they, you they let you live to death they yeah. let you live to death or yeah right, right. They kill you nicely. Um, but it it seems kind of because of, again, like bringing it full circle with the pawns, that the angels were kind of Amy's first big monster encounter. You know, like after, you know, you know, she met the Daleks. She met, uh, you know, a couple other things. But, you know, to my reading in like when Amy starts she's so kind of, you know, adventurous and, you know, non kind of, you know, she's just so sort of gung ho about everything that the episode with the angels are really the first time that you see her kind of shook up by, you know, an experience of traveling, Um, you know, and it's after that that she kind of like gets sort of, you know, feisty with the doctor, you know, cause she had this near death experience and, sure. you know, so, um, you know, it's kind of what prompts them to bring Rory on board and everything. Um, and then again, right. there's that moment in the God complex where you think for a moment that the angels are there for Amy, you know, instead oh, of being yeah. there yeah, for, yeah. you know, so it's kind of hinted Sorry, at. I know, I, I knew we saw them somewhere else again. I couldn't remember what it was that, that yeah, I was thinking just that, of. Like it was that a brief. little brief. Yeah. Um, so it, it's kind of, you know, hinted that they are some of, you know, her most feared sort of like that, that that's a, they're a monster, which is kind of deep rooted in Amy's kind of story and her sure. psyche, I guess. Um, and in a way you kind of get, you know, those fears pitted against each other in this episode with the angels, you know, and waiting and you know having to sort of not be sure if you'll be on your own you know that moment when she's not sure at the end whether she will get to go back with rory you know yeah like well and and, will will i go to the same time as him i don't know but i have to and so she overcomes the fear of the angels and the fear of the waiting and the abandonment to make the choice and there's the preview back. the preview of that fear when she realizes that old Rory in the hotel room there or whatever had gone so many years without her. Like right. that like yeah. that's when she makes the decision of I won't let them do that to him. Right. Like because she I mean, and of course Rory has waited many more years than that in the past. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but at the same time it's that it's that fear of like you don't you don't want that to happen and she remembers i mean that's part of 
like you said, that's sort of at the root of her character is as the girl who waited. And mm. so, yeah, it becomes it becomes the sort of motivating factor for her too in both those instances. One, mm-hmm. to help Rory run away, but then also when he does get taken to risk going back because she are like, if she doesn't risk going back, she's definitely going to be without him. Right. And if she does go back, at least she has a chance of being with him. Right. And, 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 you know, we're back at Amy's choice again. Um, you know, which she chooses Rory. She's always chosen Rory. I don't know that Amy would never choose Rory really when it comes down to it but I still think you know the in like Amy's choice or in a couple episodes after that when he sort of gets erased it's 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 not until after she loses him that she kind of realizes her feelings and kind of realizes of course I would choose him you know I just didn't kind of realize that consciously Um, whereas I think now here we see her more mature, like more committed to him from the start, you know? So like, yeah, yeah. she keeps, she keeps losing him because that's what happens with Rory is he gets killed or he gets lost and she has to go fight. That's just sort of the way they're, you think you'll come back to life? Well, when don't I? I? (laughs) That's just sort of the way their relationship goes, but there's not that sense of an agonizing choice between worlds anymore. She's clearly, the choice was made years ago and it's just a matter of her, you know, doing it, I guess, you know? And the only hesitation is in kind of finding a way to tell the doctor that. (laughs) Not so much that her choice is in doubt, but in kind of getting to say those goodbyes and tell him, this is what I'm doing, you know? Sure. Um, You know, and like she said in the last episode, like there were times when I couldn't live without you to the doctor, you know, whereas sad as it is for her to lose him that's not true anymore you know she knows mm. you know she can live without him it's rory she can't go without sure. so yeah um yeah uh trying to think of where to go next um well I have stuff for like the doctor and river, but sticking to Amy and Rory for a second. Um, I'm trying to not, not make this just be like a open-ended leading question or something, but like, do you, (laughs) I'm just curious. Do, do you have any thoughts on their kind of, uh, uh, semi suicidal slash, self-sacrificial leap off the building there because i know that touches on some nerves and yeah. you know people always like to I talk mean, about that so uh, i think i think based on so as scared as like rory is about it like mm. As much as you can have, like, a scientific basis in Doctor Who, I feel like they're on a pretty good one. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, as far as, like, if we do this, it'll be a paradox and paradoxes can't exist. So we'll wake up alive somewhere else. Like, 
that happens. They have Doctor a good, Who. right. So right. like, Rory I mean, has plenty of experience in this area. Um, yeah, I feel like that's not a completely terrible thing. I mean, I can guess what some of the criticism is about it, and it's probably the same sort of criticism as I've heard, you know, about other shows that depict like suicide or like right. like like glorious suicide in right. certain ways, you know, and that kind of thing. Um so like without sort of diminishing the reality of, you know, real life suicide where you don't create a paradox and come back. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, like this is a universe in which that is possible. So mm-hmm. I don't, from a story perspective, like I don't, I don't have a problem with that. Um, the, the, actually the thing, the paradoxical things that bother me mm. are the things are, the ones that aren't acknowledged. Mm-hmm. So, for example, mm-hmm. River um, gets her hand out of the grass with the angel by presumably breaking her arm. Mm. Um, I'm still not clear on why they couldn't break the angel's arm to get her out. And the doctor saying, well, because Amy read it, it was a paradox or not a paradox, but like set in stone. I have to break your arm now. But then the doctor isn't the one to break her arm. She breaks her own arm. So isn't that actually changing what happens? But it's never acknowledged. Right. Like the doctors, it, so it clearly wasn't set. Right. As a fixed point in time, but like they, nobody ever acknowledges that. Like, hey, wait a minute! You said it was set in stone that you would have to break her arm or whatever, but you didn't. So, doesn't that mean that then right. it's not right. a fixed thing? Right. Except that all we know for sure is that the doctor says he has to break her arm. We don't actually know that he. But he seems. Did. But he seems to think that he has to because one, he says that he has to, and then two, he he tells River to find a different way to get out without breaking her arm, and then she breaks her arm, and he's like, "Oh my God, you broke your arm!" And so, it's still true. I I put this in the same. And this is just me. I put this in the same category as the question of whether anything changed or not on Lake Lake Silencio with the doctor's death. Like it's unclear to me whether time changed or whether that's always what happened. And all that changed is our understanding of what we thought happened. Um, And and I don't see a real clear way to determine one way. So that's kind of how I put this is like, and part of that, I mean, I think is just, you know, how to do time travel stories without completely ton- contradicting yourself. At some level, you have to leave that, like, open and not sure, like, not know, did River, did she actually change things? And maybe she did, you know, and they're just not kind of realizing that or... 
was that what always happened? And, you know. And, and so, like I said, my problem isn't so much the occurrence of what happens, yeah, but that it goes completely unacknowledged. And, and the feeling, the feeling that I get is that the doctor and everyone else seems to believe that river breaking her own arm has the same consequence as the doctor saying, now I have to break right. whatever it is right. that right. gets broken that Amy read. So like nobody acknowledges that it's actually a different situation than what the doctor thinks happened. Right. Well, and, 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 and I agree, I agree with you insofar as that, there's perhaps enough fuzziness to say, well, we don't actually know. And it's not actually written in the text that is read to us, mm-hmm. you know, what exactly happened. So, okay. Like I, I can accept that as like a potential mm-hmm. explanation for like, we don't actually know what happens, but I think I, I do think it's different than at least in some degree different than, um, you know, the Lake Silencio stuff, because like there, we're pretty much explicitly prompted to to make that question of oh maybe this was it all along you know what i mean like it's they don't state it that way like in the dialogue but it's very clearly pointing to that that sort of analysis or questioning of of the whole scenario because we get a different viewpoint well i'll say that even though they don't bring it up and and comment on that specifically in this situation keep that question in mind for the future like that you know again how explicit this episode was meant to be a part of that i'm not quite sure but i think it's part of an ongoing questioning you know with with the amount that moffat likes to play with the timeline you know and way more than Davies ever did. Moffat likes to like screw with his own timeline. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um this that's not the first time that questions come up and it won't be the last. And I think it's part mm-hmm. of an ongoing uh you know question of like okay, when stuff like that happens what does that mean? Does that mean that we can change things or does it mean that Things don't change. It's only our understanding of the things that sure. that becomes more refined or whatever. Um, and and maybe the doctor himself doesn't necessarily understand it as well as he says he does. Yeah. Um, yeah. You no. Know, or and, maybe, and that's or maybe, a fair point. Like or the... maybe he's overlooking obvious in the in the drama of what's going on. He's overlooking things that are common sense questions, you know, um, and, and, and maybe Moffat is too, you know, not that yeah. that was sort of my own before, you know, like as I was sort of thinking about it, but before we were recording and stuff, that was sort of my own, um, you know, again, like preferred uh, interpretation. Yeah. Coalescing of like yeah. these seeming paradoxes is that. Well, maybe the doctor didn't realize it because he was so focused on everything else. It just missed it. I just, I, I feel like from a writing perspective, you could still highlight it without the doctor necessarily Mm. getting it. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But, you know, it, it is what it is. And and in the end, um, I mean, the, the, thing, the thing why I think, like, they should have highlighted it is because ultimately Amy and Rory do change things. Right, right. Then the, the know, name the appears where it wasn't before. Yeah. Right, right. And, yeah. and I like, and in that respect, as far as the ending goes, I like that they change things, but not in a way that's like, oh, Rory's okay and doesn't ever get sent back in time. No, the change is Amy decides... She wants to go back with him. Go with him, and yeah. and so it's not like the bad thing still happens to Rory, but we almost get like, well, it's almost like the Doctor ripping out the last page, right? It's like we get the ending of the story too early. Mm-hmm. Like Rory still gets sent back in time. We just don't find out what the next thing happens until it happens at the end, right? <clears throat> so um, I do kind of like that in a way, the way it works out. Obviously, I don't like the fact that Amy and Rory are no longer with the Doctor. No. Um, and Or with the story, presume. I mean, I presume, and I realize what people say about making assumptions or whatever, but I presume <laughs> we won't see them again in the story at all, like if they're not with the Doctor. But I could be wrong. I, You know? I, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, it, you, you know, no, no... I won't say anything about will we ever see them again and you know in terms of that could mean a number of different things right, right. like all manner of yeah um, you know whatever um but this is the the departure of the pawns as sort of main characters yeah, yeah, traveling yeah. with the doctor you know although we yeah you know we do know how people tend to reappear unexpected. I mean, Rose was presumably trapped in another dimension that she right, can never forever, escape yeah, from yeah, forever. Yeah, and yeah. then we so, see her again. So, yeah. you know, one way or that. Um, a couple other things I wanted to bring up, kind of along the same lines, um, not quite paradoxical, well, maybe paradoxical in a way, but like not quite in the same way. One, so at the end, you know, you get Amy saying, you know, could you go like keep Amelia company and tell her stories because mm. she's going to have to wait a long time. I mean, the fact that Amy's telling the doctor this makes us know that the doctor doesn't actually go back and do that. Like, mm, do you think so? I mean, so, I mean, that's a great question again with the, like, you know, because Amy would this... know if she did that. Well, well, I don't know. I mean, there's that, there's that shot again of Amy in the garden and she hears, you know, the TARDIS sound and looks up and smiles. And last time we saw that, it cut to her waking up from a dream, you know. So we never see how little Amelia, at what point she gives up and goes back in to bed. Um, you know, how do you want to read it? Does, is, is, did she just give up and go back into bed? And, you know, the doctor never goes back. He never... Maybe he decides timelines are too delicate. I'm not going to, you know, risk anything by going and screwing with the past. Or, you know, you can, if you want, imagine that he picked up a somewhat sleepy little Amelia, tucked her in, told her a little bedtime story, said, I'll see you later, flew away. And then so many years later, she meets him. I don't know. I think that 
I think there's I a know. lot of things in this episode which are like kind of like, and it's, and especially with the frame of like the the book that's being written in the story, it's sort of like, it's kind of all about reading and interpretation and how does you know knowing what's written affect what you do and what how you understand what's happening and all that kind of thing. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that we. I don't know that I can commit to one or the other. I'll say that. Okay. Um, the other thing is the doctor, after chastising Amy for reading ahead, like, does he seal the fate of the pawns when he reads the chapter titles like is that (laughs) you know is is that the same thing as essentially reading ahead you know yes the table of contents is in the front of the book so like technically you could have seen but i like i don't ever read the table of contents i mean maybe for like an academic book where i'm Mm -hmm. looking for a specific chapter about a particular topic or something but like for for a story i don't ever read like table of contents to see like the shape of the story beforehand or anything. Mm-hmm. So you get this very, and it's a very like um, Sherlock Holmesian, right? It's like Amy's last final farewell or something. Like right, I, I right. thought of like, you know, His Sherlock last Holmes' bow, last yeah. bow or something. Yeah. yeah like yeah. Um, Anyway, but like, yeah, it's that thing. And it's, you know, it's like, you know, when the doctor thinks that he, or well, actually Amy suggests this like loophole but, like, it turns out to not actually be a loophole. Like, does he mm. actually, you know, solidify that occurrence when he when he looks at that uh, right. thing? So. Right. Well, and he kind of, like, because, again, you know, that's a vague, I mean, it's suggestive, but you could kind of try to interpret it in many different ways as to mm-hmm. what what does that mean. But he, like clearly settles on one interpretation like you know his reaction to it is very sort of angry and you know right you know like he knows what he thinks it means Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean i think the suggestion is there that from that point on we're headed in one direction you know that the doctor's seen something and assigned a particular interpretation to it Mm -hmm. and there's kind of only one way this can go from, you know, at this point, so. And and it just occurred to me in talking about that, that sort of metaphorically that works for, like, how the angels work as well. It's like, mm. as soon as you see it, it solidifies. Yeah. And, and becomes a reality. Yeah. Uh, whereas the angels, you know, same way, like, they're, when you can't see them, they're kind of free-floating and right. moving around and whatever, but as soon as you look at them, they... Right. Solidify as well. Yeah, like um, he says, like as soon as we see it, it's written in stone. And and I like how you described it too just now of it's not it's not even like it's that the future itself is hardened, but it's that you solidify your opinion or expectation. And it's almost like that that thing of where like if you expect something bad to happen, something bad is going to happen. You know what I mean? Like if you if you're so like, you know, I don't know, say you fear, you know, talking in front of people mm. and you keep thinking like, 
oh, I'm going to screw up my lines. I'm going to screw up my lines. I'm going to screw up my lines. And then you get You'll up there and you screw, screw up, up your lines, lines. Yeah. because you, yeah. you're so worried about screwing things up that yeah. it, you just force it. Like, so is it, is it that the thing itself is actually set in stone and it's guaranteed to happen? Or is it that it's your mind, you know, your state of mind, something about your state of mind is making it like a self-fulfilling prophecy in a right. way kind of thing. And, right. and it's, I think that goes to the ambiguity that you're that you're mm-hmm. advocating for, and that and that I don't disagree with, but maybe a little more skeptical about um, mm-hmm. in certain in certain specific circumstances, um, yeah. that that I think uh, I think fits in well with sort of the overall themes and and the use of the angels and all of that as far as yeah. that goes. Yeah. No, I love that's great. I hadn't thought about that before. Of of things solidifying when you that kind of seems to be Doctor Who's approach to like the future is like you know there is a vague kind of many possibility future out there but it's not until we encounter it and see it that it becomes fixed I guess yeah. um, you know which is kind of analogous to the idea of there's a book but you don't know what's coming until you read ahead, you right. know. So it could be anything in there, but <laughs> once you've read it, you know, it's it's sort of yeah. not going to change. Um, and, and I like the sorry. the sorry, no, go ahead. I was going to say just and as distasteful as I find ripping pages out of a book, I do kind of <laughs> like the idea of you know a story never ending. You know, so he just like doesn't read the last right page or whatever um which is which is kind of my experience with kind of what the doctor is yeah yeah i was gonna say which is kind of my experience with watching the x-files because i never saw the last episode of that tv show even though i watched it religiously for many years well technically there is no last episode yet because they're making more right they're making (laughs) yeah no i saw i saw that today as of uh, today yeah uh uh what's his name uh christopher uh no columbus uh Crap, what's the creator's name of that show? Uh, I can't think of his name. Anyway, uh, like he, he was like, yeah, I basically just think of it as like a 13-year-long commercial break. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. It's, yeah. And, of course, there have been movies as well. But, anyway, like that's all neither here nor there. Um, yeah. I, I, do, I do sort of, I mean, the best stories feel like that anyway. They feel like there's a continuation that goes well beyond the last page. So mm. like, I kind of feel like you don't have to even rip out the last page of a good story anyway, because it, it's not going to end. Like you're going to keep thinking there's a literal thing where you're going to keep thinking about it and sort of ruminating on it if it's, you know, good enough. But then there's also like, I suppose, unless it's like specifically a story where like the main character dies at the end. But even then, like a lot of times you get the sense that there's other people going on and doing stuff, you know, characters that you've come to learn to enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of the contrast. Those are the two things we get in this story, I guess, is the doctor, which goes on forever and the companions, which do not. So, and the, the, you know, the sadness of, him having to, you know, which is on the one hand, nothing new for him. But again, I think we've been talking about how we've been with the ponds for a long time. And the, and this doctor's been with the ponds for a long time. So mm. that, you know, and 
been more increasingly paranoid about losing the pawns. I think the fact that we get all these starts and stops with him thinking about maybe letting them go and then not being able to do it, it's almost like it becomes harder to let them go because he, you know, each time he takes them out, it gets a little bit, you know, more difficult, you know. Um, so, you know, and I find it kind of interesting how, from his point of view, he behaves pretty selfishly, you know, that, mm. uh, you know, with Amy's choice at the end, there's no kind of selfless motive that says, Amy, you know, we've had wonderful adventures, but, you know, I understand. But I understand, your yeah. choice. No, he's like, you know what? No, pond, come along, pond, you know. Yeah. You just get your little tush back in the TARDIS right now. Like, he's not, you know, he's not having any of this. Um, and, like, there's no... There's no impulse there that says, go be with your husband. <laughs> it's like, right. you know, and right. it's like, you know, I, that's really interesting, you know, like that the doctor's not always the most selfless hero, you know. Um, he, not he, always, frequently not. Always. not. <laughs> yeah, frequently not the most selfless hero. Um, so, yeah, you know, so I like that because I think it would be kind of, even given the fact that he's not always the straightforward hero, I think it would be easy to write a, a more cliched ending. But I, I like the fact that he's sort of begging her to stay in the end, and she doesn't. Um, so, yeah. And and you have to love River in that moment of you know yes, ignore him, go <laughs> like yeah, you know yeah. the the very much being that one to say go follow dad basically yeah yeah um and river too also you know doesn't stay she repeats the don't travel alone yeah kind of sentiment that we've heard many a time but not she won't she's not his minder um you know she won't be the one to to be there all the time so yeah 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 so and I mean, we do need to sort of move on here, I guess, but I don't want to rush it because this obviously is, is an important episode. Um, but we do, we do get that sense. Like, I'm not sure what to think. So for like the next one, like, so is river there or not? Like, cause she says, yes, I'll travel with you whenever, you know, you want or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, but then she's also like, but not all the time. So I was like, well, wait, those are kind of conflicting messages. Yeah. Like, cause he's asking you like, will you be the yeah. one to travel with me? Um, and, and, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe she needs her space too. And that's fine. Um, you know, yeah, that sort of seems to be their relationship that sometimes they cross paths. And when they do, it's great. And then other times they spend plenty of time away from each other. Maybe that's what makes it a good marriage. I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they have uh, their, their separate you yeah, know, spheres. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's the, whether or not this is kind of what she's saying, I think there's the sense of River is more like one of these special companions who's in some ways more like the doctor himself than like, you know, mm-hmm. a regular companion. And that 
you know, the line about one psychopath per TARDIS. It's like, they're great together when they're together, but she wouldn't be the right person. Like, when they say don't travel alone, they don't necessarily just mean have someone there with you. They mean you need a companion. Yeah, you know, there's you a need, particular type of person you there's need a, to there's a, Yeah, there's a type of spirit that, like, that River is not necessarily that, you know, she's she's not like a Rose or an Amy or whatever, you know, that she's a bit, you know, I guess closer to the doctor that way. So she, and, and I guess she recognizes that about, you know, herself yeah. that mm-hmm. I'll travel with you, but I can't replace Amy, you know, as, yeah. as that companion figure, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I know I know there's sort of two final things you wanted to make sure we talked about real quick. Um, yes. I, what I, I'll let you determine the order, I guess, but okay. just want to make um, sure we have. Well, really quick, um, there's an unshot scene uh, which I'll link to online. It's called P.S. Um, and it's a little coda um, with. Uh, that they never shot, so it's all in, like, storyboards and whatever. But it would have been, I guess, either the final scene or one of the final scenes, and it kind of would have been Rory's epilogue, you know, if Amy gets an epilogue with her little, you know, farewell chapter and everything. Um, Right, right. And it's uh, just of, you know, it's kind of an echo of some of the scenes in Blink. Um, Rory, they send, they end up, you know, because we know they can't have kids, but they end up adopting. Um, and so their grandchild, they send him with a letter to Brian Pond or Brian Williams. So um, so we get like a scene <laughs> of him. A <laughs> he's a pond. So we see we get a scene of him being, you know, meeting his grandson, who I think is older than he is at that point. Um, but, you know, Brian, who stays home to water the plants, you know, gets to, I guess, find out what happened. You know, I don't know how long he has to wait. Maybe it's like the next day <laughs> that he finds out what happened. But, um, so, you know, it's not like, I can see why they cut it. You know, it's kind of nice to have some little thing for Rory so that it's not so focused on Amy at the end, but you know, I can see kind of, why it was maybe a little bit unnecessary. Um, yeah, although it might have been ni- like might it's like the pond life thing, you know, like might have yeah. been nice as like a little webisode or yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. That, they, maybe they could have. Of... I don't know why they didn't even shoot it. They ended up, you know, just ditching it entirely. Um, you know, which is kind of a shame. Uh, the last thing I want to mention is what's known as the Washington theory. Um, and it's the the question, the very sensible question of why can't the ponds just go to Washington, D.C. or, you know, Jersey or whatever and, you know, have the doctor pick them up there. You know, like what's preventing them from, you know, the doctor has a TARDIS. Why can't he just go back in time and pick them up somewhere else? Um, you know. Moffat's addressed this, you know, so it's kind of up to you whether you find his answer satisfying. You know, that that's basically why we have all the stuff about the paradoxes, that it's not about, you know, 
where or when the doctor could meet them again. It's about the fact that there's been so much time distortion because of the angels focused on this one place and time that, and there have been so many paradoxes to get out of it that any more and, you know, the universe could start imploding or something. Who knows what kind of mm. damage. So, you know, that's kind of the idea is that it's not about, well, he can't go to New York or it's not about, well, he can't go to this time period or it's not just about that. It's about we can't contradict what's on that gravestone. You know, we can't contradict what Amy writes in her foreword or her epilogue or whatever. We can't contradict any of these things that at the end, you know, we know to be true. And to do that could risk, you know, terrible damage. So sure. that's, that's Muff in case anybody's worried. <laughs> I think Moffat got many fan letters about that. So he wrote a little, you know, in his like monthly Q and A in like Doctor Who magazine or whatever, he mm -hmm. answered that question. Sure. So. Well. All right. Fair. Fair enough. I mean, I'm not. I that was like the least. The least of uh, our worries. Yeah. Yeah, the least of of the problems I had with the various paradoxical stuff. And I um, think I think that's kind of. You know, it's not a surprise that in this episode we talk a lot about the various plot holes and stuff. Like, I think this is a good episode, and I think it has some really strong scenes and ideas. And it's, you know, well-written and well-made and everything, well-acted, you know. But it has so much going on, and not all of it is as well thought through as, you know... Yeah as some of Moffat's other episodes, so, you know. Okay, well, farewell, Pons, yeah. sadly. Yeah, I, I am curious, though, to see, because I know frequently with the Christmas episodes we get sort of standalone mm. companions anyway, so I'm, I'm just curious. I'm What's just curious. Next, yeah. I don't know, I don't know what'll, what'll be next. Yeah. And, and I didn't even know until you mentioned it earlier, that it would be a Christmas episode. A Christmas episode, yeah. So. Cool. Yeah. All right. On well, to Angel. On to Angel and some more farewells. More um, yeah. So uh, you had a couple notes about this episode. Yeah, uh, more about the actors in it um, yeah. than, than the episode itself. Um, so... We're introduced to J. August Richards, uh, who plays Charles Gunn, uh, and who was just referred simply as to as Gunn. Yeah, I don't um, think I knew his name was Charles. So that's yeah. I don't know that you. I'm. I mean, not that it's like a huge spoiler. At but some the only point we'll the learn only that, reason yeah. I point out that Gunn is the last name is because I always found it weird that Alana calls him Gunn because it's her last right. name also. She's right. Alana Gunn, and he's right. Charles Gunn. So it's right. just, like, I always found that to be kind of strange. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. But anyway, the the this is the introduction of Gunn and mm. J. August Richards. Um, so Richards goes on to uh, 
he will we will see him frequently throughout angel uh yeah. he ends up being in like 91 episodes total which mm. we've already seen this is the 20th episode so like right. if you do the count of like how many episodes there are per season and how many seasons there are like it's that's a, a significant portion yeah like yeah. all but maybe one or two basically yeah. <laughs> of the next uh several years yeah. seasons um so it's significant character i mean i don't think that's a huge spoiler because like he is in so many of like the promotional materials promotional things, especially yeah. after season one um yeah so definitely um you know definitely like i feel like his face the, his is sort of the first like i would say him and like amy acker is another actor mm. actress who we know appears later in angel but who goes on to have sort of significant role i feel like the two of them are like the two main non-buffy characters that Mm -hmm. people would know simply by like having seen their faces on promotional materials with angel so i don't think it's like a huge spoiler to say that he's he becomes a pretty significant character and and i think even here we're left with that impression at the end yeah. Uh, which we can, you know, we can talk through that. Uh, Richards goes on to play in a couple of other series after Angel. Um, a couple regular roles. Um, he does some, you know, like every actor does, you know, various like one-offs here and there. Um, but from sort of the Whedon perspective, uh, of course, is notable for being uh, in in a number of episodes in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well right. as um, basically someone who's given various powers and and sort of manipulated into doing uh some bad stuff uh but i i've always liked him i like his acting i think he's a good mm-hmm. uh I, I like his character in angel and and definitely look forward to talking more about him along the way um the other actor i want to talk about real quick is uh david herman who plays david nabbit mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh he uh I don't know. Have you ever seen the um, movie Office Space? I have. And so you might recognize him as as the guy who plays Michael Bolton. He's Michael Bolton. Okay, right. Uh, He he did look familiar, so now I can see that, Uh, yeah. uh, And and he's been in some other stuff, but he's actually much more well-known for his voice acting. Um, Uh He's done voices for King of the Hill, Futurama, American Dad. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as like other one-off, like he's, he's done some one-off stuff for the Simpsons and stuff yeah. um, and a bunch of like video game voices and stuff. So, mm-hmm. so much more well-known for that kind of stuff, I think, but, but visually, if you've seen Office Space and Michael Bolton, of course, is funny just because of the name and he's done some other like, right. um, uh, you know, comedic acting and stuff, uh, in various movies and things. So, um, yeah. He, uh, so my point with him that I wanted to bring up, um, one that people would kind of know him from that because it's sort of a cult classic, uh, mm-hmm. but also that he, uh, was sort of intended to be a recurring character in Angel mm-hmm. as well. Um, and we sort of get that sense with like Cordy, you know, saying, oh, maybe I could, you know, right, right. you know, whatever. But, uh, basically schedules didn't work out, so they kind of just, stop trying to write him into the scripts okay. uh and and um whatever i i will say we will see him again but it, like he doesn't he doesn't become you know it, it, he ends up being more of like 
a Jonathan character that like right. never develops into a full Jonathan character. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, other than that, I, we can we can sort of go into the story, but I wanted to make sure we talked about those two actors um, and their yeah. sort of notability uh, in that case. Cool. Yeah. Um, no, I I liked Gunn too, so I'm excited to see some more of him and where he goes. Um, so in terms, I kind of want to start with him and Alana since we know that he's going to go on to be important. You know, I feel like I want to make sure we give his character and his sort of origin story here of, you know, a fair amount of weight and everything. Sure. Um, so, you know, just in terms of the situation, uh, it didn't really hit me until kind of towards the end of the episode, but you know, and maybe this is totally obvious, probably everybody caught on to this before I did, but I do like the way that they kind of frame this as like, you know, another one of these kind of like metaphors for, you know, like a gang warfare in LA. Mm -hmm. Um, and especially, you know, with the, contrast between you know the setup of like david's very you know uh wealthy you know entrepreneur kind of silicon valley tech guru kind of thing you know mm -hmm. and all his sort of money and resources down into like you know the la slums and you know where you have teenagers living mm -hmm. out of garbage you know dumps and you know engaging in like this like warfare you know and you know and cordelia even says at one point um you know can you believe that those two worlds exist you know just a couple blocks from each other right, right. um and that's i think at what point it kind of hit me like oh that's what they're talking about because that's true you know um yeah. you know in la in particular but in a lot of places that's true where you have such different you know modes of experience that kind of yeah close together um yeah and i mean there may or may not be like a line of demarcation but like sort of the idiomatic expression is like the other side of the tracks you know like right. where there's like yeah. this literal yeah. line of like you know nice uh middle or upper class you know mm -hmm. things and 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 the the crossover of that being angel because we don't necessarily think of him as being like middle-class, whatever, but he certainly is compared to, right. You know, them like, but we, I mean, we know he comes from like, you know, the Irish and stuff, but that he also was like homeless living on the streets, eating rats, like for many years too. Right, so, right. you know, that, that moment where like you get gun sort of saying, you don't know me, you don't know my life. It's like, well, how much truer is that for someone who's 200 years old? Right. You, you know, whereas guns, what, not even 20, like, right. Yeah. Right. right. Well, and, and that's true. Angel and Wesley and Cordy all kind of have a foot in those, both of those worlds that they've all come from, you know, comfortable, you know, lives you know mm -hmm. they've had like you know none of them were born on the streets you know they all no. were kind of middle class or at least comfortable but they've all had experience of 
of falling yeah. on hard times. You know, like Angel, we, yeah, like you said, like we saw him, you know, in, in the gutter with the rats. You know, Cordelia's had to learn a bit of what it's like to live, you know, hand to mouth and to live in kind of a, you know, cockroach infested apartment right. and everything. Right, um, and like her family lost all their money. And, and her stuff. family, yeah. yeah, and so she suddenly thrust into the world with no support. You know, and even Wesley kind of cast off by, you know, when we first saw him again this season. Um, we don't know exactly how poor he is, but certainly has kind of lost his stability with the Watchers, mm -hmm. was sort of fired and cut off. And so he's kind of homeless, you know, like he's like decided, well, I'm going to be this rogue demon hunter and live in his, not even in his car, have like a motorcycle and just... yeah travel from place to place and hunt, you know, demons. So, yeah. you know, not, I mean, now that doesn't mean that they've gone through what guns gone through. No. You know, but, you know, nor are they necessarily people who have lived lives of unquestioned privilege, you know, that they have all kind of been in both worlds and can right. kind of cross that line between the two, I think. Yeah. Which is pretty much what they do every day with the with the mundane versus the supernatural. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they're always sort of crossing boundaries and uh, yeah, you know, and and again that that metaphor is drawn out when David says, uh, you know, there are two worlds here that people don't even see. Like he's talking about like his life and how unreal it is compared to other people's lives and you know and and also the supernatural world that he knows happens that uh you know because he has all these experiences with the demons right. as experienced right. through D D. so like again like the world's like you know the kind of levels of society and the like levels of knowledge that we've called it about like the supernatural are sort of mm -hmm. drawn in parallel there yeah. Um, so that's cool, you know, and I like, you know, again, like exploring, using the show to make it different again from Buffy. A lot of the episodes of Angel this season have been about Los Angeles and, you know, what it's like and, you know, and kind of how it is not all it's cracked up to be and how you have like what seems very glamorous on the surface, but underneath there's this sort of seedy underbelly where these kids are you know fighting for their lives so um a pretty interesting origin story for gun this new character um yeah so, yeah we don't oh sorry god well yeah and i was just gonna say i mean i'm calling this his origin story but we kind of don't know his origin like we just sort of meet him and his gang sort of already you know in place um we don't know how they you know what their upbringing was like before this you know mm. how they got into the situation like what what family upbringing might they have had if anything um you know how long have they been on their own how uh you know how did I mean, you can tell that Gunn is this sort of charismatic leader, but how did he come to kind of be the the leader of all these 
you right. know, kids. Like, we don't really see the process of that. Um, yeah. And and you get the sense, based on what Alana sort of complains to him about, that he, he is sort of the charismatic leader or whatever, but not always the responsible leader. Like, right. even though he has sort of taken responsibility, she kind of calls him out for being a bit reckless and and loving the fight too much um yeah which of course is sort of the tragic flaw right is that that's what in a way what ends up getting her killed um yeah yeah i mean we get other than like sort of alana's story of their younger days we don't get a ton i mean we get the sense that like their parents have not been in the picture for a very long time. We yeah. don't know why. Like, did they die? Did did they were they abandoned? You know, were they mm-hmm. given up for adoption? Like, and you know, many potential reasons. But um, yeah, I mean, this even goes back to like, if you want to think about the story of L.A. in the Buffyverse, I mean, sort of the first story of that was Anne with yeah. you know Buffy being there. And and I feel like this has a similar feel to that in a way where it's, you know, it's, it is, it's about kids who have to learn how to grow up too fast, you know, basically. Yeah. And we've talked about how Angel does have the more, you know, adult themes and stuff. And I think this doesn't stray from that, but it, it sort of shifts the definition of adult, you know, to be younger than maybe we're mm-hmm. used to and even comfortable with. Uh, talking about in some ways um and also like and i think that fits in both worlds because i think that same goes for david is there's there's a very real sense where he's you know he made his money very early when he was Mm. still a kid and in a way that almost has stunted his growth like Mm -hmm. because of his cush comfortable life he hasn't learned, you know, learned how to talk to women and he doesn't know how to comport himself in society really. And, you know, he giggles at sort of slightly naughty sounding remarks, you know, and like that kind of thing. Like he, he, you know, whereas you have, you know, the people living on the streets sort of um, having to grow up too fast, you have the, the, the guy who's sort of representing the the Kush and Lux lifestyle, you know, not growing up at all or, you mm-hmm. know, very little in a way. So so like you get that you get that sort of contrast and and um and even like with with the other people who are like around David, you know, like the society people, like in a way there's a sense where they don't really have to grow up or at least deal with like quote real issues and that kind of thing because they're living sort of this luxury life going to parties and not dealing with you know the realities of right right like they don't they don't even know there's it's not even like the the you get to go to the party it's not even just a oh you have money so you get to party all the time with your friends they don't even know whose party it is like right you know he right. doesn't There's, know they're so far removed from it all right they right. don't even uh, they don't even know how, like these are the kind of people who are like they would walk into a mcdonald's and not know how to order food you know like right right <laughs> yeah that that you know just you know 
almost scavengers in the same way that like the vampires are just sort of like you know beating off of you know david's sort of you know if he throws a party they'll be there you know you i imagine they go from party to party not really knowing whose party it is or yeah. you know which is almost vampirical in itself it is like, yeah yeah very much that parasitic yeah uh, kind of feel to it yeah yeah so in a way you know gun and his friends are are being you know forced to deal with reality you know much more directly yeah um and you get that too with even just the contrast between their understandings of this supernatural other world you know you have david and his friends you know playing you know D D. um and, yeah. and and talking about it in a very not to not to trash D and D, but the way they talk about it is in that very escapist in the bad sense kind of way of you know it's about you know imagining my life you know a different way, imagining mm. you know that I'm this you know all powerful you know, warrior who can do or be anything, you know, and, and it leading them into, you know, this kind of demon brothel and this kind of like right. slightly seedy behavior. Whereas like you have Gunn and his friends um, actually coming face to face with the demon one underworld and confronting it. And it's not all, mm-hmm. you know, fighting, you know, easily defeatable monsters and, you know, getting the, you know, demon princess or whatever. It's, you know, this gritty kind of fight to the death. Or even doing, like, the bad but sort of cush bad things with, like, going to the demon brothel. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, I mean, obviously that has its own uh, immorality to it, but it's Mm -hmm. like for lack of a better word, like harmless immorality. Right, you know what right, I mean? Like, right. It's, it's not exactly like, yeah, there's vampires who are going to kill us and eat us. Right. Type of, you know, bad. <laughs> I'm really struggling yeah. about how to describe a demon brothel as not being that bad. But, no, you know I what know I mean? What like, mean. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but it's, it's like, it's like, it's a vice. It's not, you know, like, a victim crime sort right. of, you know, right. preying on people sort of thing. I suppose right. there are people who might disagree with that characterization, but for the sake of the show, I'm sticking by it. Right. Well, and, it's, and it's a metaphor. And it's like, it's, it's the controlled environment. It's like you go right. there and, and as far as, you know, now it's not that easy because the guy gets the pictures and blackmails him and everything. So yeah. there are consequences. But even even but, that you're like, like the the sense is like oh that's frowned upon you know like right even yeah. that seems like oh you've overstepped the line for this particular establishment <laughs> yeah or like yeah the big risk would be embarrassment you know not right. like the death of your you know only remaining family right. member like embarrassment the, you might lose a little money but yeah. yeah you know the the consequences with the kids are much higher the stakes are much like these are this is not about social disgrace because that isn't even a factor for these kids. Like the, the consequence is like 
literal life or death. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, again, even in that way, they have a greater understanding of, of the world than David does. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess another thing, too, which, like, will be interesting to see as Gunn's character goes forward is, you know, you mentioned the fact that he's kind of a reckless leader. And, like, you know, we don't, again, with not quite getting a whole lot of backstory, we don't really have, I don't have a sense yet of why that is. Is he kind of by nature a kind of maybe a reckless person like a, a you know that's kind of what Alana suggests is that he is always the bravest and the he has to like do the the the, the dare that nobody else can do and and it, maybe the others can't do it which is why he always has to rescue everybody um sure. you know he can do things you know but you know but he'll kind of recklessly lead others into trouble um not maliciously but just because he's a bold sort of person um or you know i guess the other suggestion is that it's more about this kind of she suggests at one point that there's this kind of death wish that you know you it, it's almost like he kind of i think she says uh you know you won't rest until you've get you've you've gotten as close to death as you possibly can um you know which he kind of denies but that's slightly different to me like is it is his recklessness about you know the the, the kind of adrenaline thrill of the adventure or is it you know about something else you know and i don't know like if maybe if they lost their fat like because we don't know even how they found out about the vampires in the first place, you know? I mean, right. it could just be that they were living in the slums and sort of bumped into them, but, you know, I don't... I could imagine maybe that's why he has no family. Right. Um, you know, right. so it's not it could of, be... I mean, we saw, like, Kate's dad. Like, that's right. how she found out. Right. Like, was because her dad got killed by vampires. So, like, so maybe that's how they found a, out. Yeah. Is this, is this more of a sort of you know, revenge-driven, mm -hmm. you know, um, sort of something in him which is sort of has that, that death wish or has, you know, something which he's seeking, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. And maybe if it wasn't before, it might be now because by the end of the episode, he has lost, you know, the one thing he had. Right. Right. Well, and that's, I mean that's sort of the thing that we're getting at the end, like, you know, where he says to Angel, like, what, you're not going to talk at me? You're not, you know, be all daddy figure and stuff? And Angel's like, what can I tell you that you haven't already learned for yourself? Like, yeah. you do get the sense that there definitely is a lesson in Alana's death and and the fact that he's, that he turns. And, like, the, you know, his, his buddy, you know, like, the second in command there or whatever, mm -hmm. is like, well, we're not going to kill any vampires. And he's like, I already did. It's like, not that, like, he's killed his last vampire ever, but, like, at least in that moment, you get the sense that his taste for it has gone away. Yeah. And that's that, that was what Alana was complaining about, was that he has this sort of insatiability. Yeah. But 
in her becoming a vampire and him having to kill her, it kind of sates that insatiability, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, you know, again, not that, like, he won't ever fight, like, he's going to be in the show for a long time, I've already I'm mentioned. sure he'll so, sate like, a few vampires. He'll still have yeah. his vampires yeah. and whatever. And, like, even Angel's like, you know, maybe I'm going to need help, implying heavily I'm going to come to you if I do, you know, yeah. like, so, and, and there's st- like the crew is still around. Like he's still with his gang. It's not like, this isn't like he's leaving his gang and going to work with angel in you know, angel investigations or anything. Like he's still with them, you know, he's still with his crew. Yeah. They're still going to be doing what they've been doing. So, and there's a truce at the end, but, truces get broken you know so there's like many possibilities for him to still be fighting i guess is kind of my point but yeah and i even and i even took the truce as like kind of temporary like like we'll see how long this lasts for you know Um, yeah sure well it could be broken by either side who you know who knows but um you know regardless of the fact i guess my point is that like yeah, this isn't, like, the last of gunfighting demons and vampires and stuff, but, like, I do think we're meant to sense that there's a shift in purpose. Uh, because yeah. he, he even says she was the one. He That was the reason why he was fighting. Maybe that's true, maybe that's not. You mm-hmm. know, Alana seems to think a little differently, that he sort of got a thrill out of it in some way. But, right, right. you know, at least him ruminating and skulking, you know, with Angel at the top of the building there. Like, that seems to be at least what he's thinking at that moment. So. Well, and there were a couple things that reminded me of Angel about Gun, Like, you know. Oh, yeah. That, like. The the parallels are very. Yeah. Frequent and intentional. They are. <laughs> like, I mean, especially the way he kind of is overlooking the city at the end. Like, yeah. kind of the the brooding you know kind of batman up on the up right, on, right. on the top of the skyscraper and everything um well but, and I, but the fact sorry. too that when he says you know she was the reason you know and he asks angel like you know why do you keep fighting and angel says you know what else are we gonna do you know i kind of thought at one point buffy was the reason that angel was fighting um and mm. You know, and and maybe in a in a way she still is, but you know, or at least she was the thing which prompted him to to start fighting right. anyway. Um, but now he has his own purpose. But now, and so there, there's that sense of they've both kind of lost the thing which got them sort of fighting yeah. in the first place, and now are now having to like the the fight itself is more important than. The thing which they've lost, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And there, there are reasons to fight beyond the fact that that reason isn't their part of their lives anymore. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, speaking of parallels between Gun and Angel, too, you got to love that opening scene right before the cut yeah. to yeah. the to the credits of. You know the sort of the the long the I mean just the look the long trench the long coat, coat you know the yeah, dark clothing all the black yeah um, and then you know panning up and you're seeing like oh it's this different person and right. him saying you know 
almost but not quite you know breaking the fourth wall of where you were expecting someone else you know right, like right. well yes in fact we were expecting angel but it's clearly not so yeah yeah uh what's going on here i and i like this idea and you know not that not that it's the first time we've sort of run into it but i do like this idea that there are maybe these other pockets of people out there sort of fighting you know the good fight in mm-hmm. whatever way they can so um you know i don't you know not that they're like i mean you know we were sort of introduced to it with like the oracles and you know the powers that be and stuff but like not that i think that gun has any like mystical connections or anything but like right you know this is like yeah they lose people but they've clearly been having some success yeah you know what i mean like this isn't like i you know i don't even know what like might be a good comparison there but you know they're not they're clearly doing something right. And ultimately, you know, if they kept going up against this gang of vampires, they might ultimately lose, but it's not like, it's not like they're, they're just being preyed upon. You know what I mean? Like they're actively out there, you know, fighting for good things. And you do get the sense that even though like, even if gun might like, uh, the fight a little too much there is a sense where he very much is that protector as well you know because you see like with the two new kids who come and he's like nope everybody eats like doesn't yeah, he, matter like he accepts and this pulls is them in. yeah yeah this is very much he's almost it's almost like fagin like you know it's like right, right. they're they are a band of ruffians and they might do their bit of stealing here and there but like there's also a sense in which they're a family and yeah uh you know, for good or ill, and maybe with a little too much patriarchy in the mix. But right. there is there is a sense where, like, maybe on balance, there's a little more good than bad coming out of it. Well, and, like, he is, he is that charismatic leader, or otherwise that people wouldn't fight for him. Like, you right. know, maybe he is a bit reckless, and maybe he does right. put them in danger, yeah. But there's something about him which, you know, the others feel loyalty towards him. They want to stay with him. They stick together. They work together. They fight together. Um, And so there must be something where he makes them feel, you know, valued or protected or something. Um, Yeah, so I definitely got that sense that he, you know on the one hand puts them in danger, but on the other hand, it's not because he doesn't care. Um, mm. You know, he cares. It's he, he seems like, even though he's kind of like, he's not mushy and emotional. Like he's clearly like a tough guy, but he cares about his, you know, about his crew, I guess. Um, yeah. 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 So. Yep. Anything um, else about, um, I don't have a whole lot else about, like, Alana on her own. Um, just, like, what an awful fate for her. And what a kind of, you know, not, not kind of a, a terrible thing for Gunn to have on his shoulders, you know, because, uh, 
you know, that's kind of, you know, being directly responsible, or at least he's going to sort of interpret it that way, um, you know, for sort of what happens to her. Um, and, you know, and again, like going with the kind of like real world, you know, gang scenarios too, the way they sort of kidnap her and throw her in the van and sort of all bite her at once has some like, you know, pretty graphic, suggestive overtones um, for me. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it, but that's sad and terrible, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have anything to add to that. You're right. Uh, how about, do we have anything else for, I guess, um, with, uh, David, um, well, I, so before we move oh, on yeah. them, just with the vampire gang and stuff, um, oh, yeah. so not a ton to say necessarily, but you, there is definitely the sense too of like, um, the formerly maybe middle class like privileged people oh, who like never yeah. left the neighborhood and so you get like these the whole, new people moved yeah, yeah. like like not yeah. and not only new but like you know yeah also not low who class are, yeah who, who are low class and of a different race you know so to speak and and I only mention it because that's sort of explicitly mentioned by like Tim Minear in his sort of write ups of of the first season mm -hmm. that that there is this sort of very explicit, like, even though there is, like, a black vampire kind of with the gang, like, you mm -hmm. very much get this, like, sense of, like, this is, like, the, you know, what might have been a middle-class white neighborhood in, like, the 50s, and then, like, slowly, almost like, um, you know, the movie Gran Torino with, you know, Clint Eastwood, sure. you know, where it's, like, over time, various ethnicities and stuff come in, and of course the gangs come in with them, and you know right, whatever. Right. So like the, that whole sort of like mentality of you know this is our place and we're gonna you know do something to clean it up, and of course that something is like basically like lynching the people you know who are right. coming in to the neighborhood and kind of thing. So you know you get this very sort of um, idea there, and that and that with the gang itself that it's very intentionally multicultural and, right. and, you know, not, um, <clears throat> you know, not sort of singular in that way. So. Yeah. Well, uh, and you get that, that kind of slight, you know, racial overtone too, with the way, yeah. you know, guns kind of says to angel, like, you know, I don't need advice from a middle-class white dude who's dead. Like, right. as if those things are all kind of like related, like, you're middle yeah. class, you're white, and you're a vampire. And it's like, this is all the people who I don't yeah. like and who push us around. And, like, you know, mm -hmm. he's one of the bad guys, you know, as far as Gunn's concerned, you know. Um, yeah. So you get that kind of suggestion of, you know, some of those elements, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I liked the line about... Cause it kind of points to that and then subverts it about when the vampire is giving his little speech and he says, like... You know, this town used to be filled with decent, hardworking people, and now they don't even move here anymore. You know, like, right. so like <laughs> the, the problem is that we had decent, hardworking people, but they were easy meals, and now right. they're gone. And suddenly, it's all these punk 
teenagers who are really hard to catch and who are yeah. killing us and like, right. Right. we can't have like the easy you know snacks that we used to have so yeah. um i kind of liked that little twist that was funny yeah so yeah no i just wanted to sort of make sure we made that note explicitly um but yeah yeah um, so as far as sort of like Angel, uh, I mean, obviously a lot of this, a lot of the episode here is setting up the two of them sort of meeting and, and, you know, the sort of bonding at the end. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know that I have a ton to say about him other than that. Um, yeah, we've kind of covered, I mean, yeah, you know, he's investigating the stuff for David, which is what sort of um, ends up leading him to run in, you know, yeah. to gun and his crew. And that's fine. Um, mm -hmm. Can't move on without the whole uh, meat locker incident. Yeah. 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 We keep having reference to the cell phone which he's not good at using. And then you do just sort of forget that he has it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I totally forget that he has it. Um, yeah. 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 No, I mean, you're, you're sort cell of intended phones, to cell phones I, ruin everything. Um, I, I, I like I, though that it's built in and that he like, he gets very embarrassed and upset yeah. about like the fact yeah. I say <laughs> when we use the cell phones, yeah, um, I, the people are in trouble. I'd need to go save them. Leave me alone. <laughs> It's it's kind of true. I saw something recently that said, like, you know, if you were to introduce cell phones to, like, if they'd had cell phones for, like, the majority of, like, Friends or Seinfeld or whatever, like, most plot lines would be resolved because the problem of miscommunication just wouldn't exist. And it's kind of, like, true. Like, there are certain adventure plots that are hard. Like, it's it's hard to justify being locked in a place when you have a cell phone in your pocket, you know? And it's like, right. You know, and, but it's early almost, enough that you can forget about it or maybe they don't work all the time or whatever. Yeah. I was going to say like, they almost have to go through like these really convoluted things to take the cell phone out of the equation sometimes. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, I forgot to charge it. And so my battery's dead or, you know, I happen to be in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. The one spot on earth that no, doesn't have a cell tower at this point, you know, right, like, right. you know, like they, they go through like these really, really, you know, weird and strange and not wholly believable in today's world exercises. Right. But um, it works. It works because that. it, it works because it's early enough, you know, the technology you get away with it. And also because it's angel, you know, so he's this, right. I like that they have, there's like a like, Luddite aspect to it. Yeah, like, like he just doesn't want it, you know? Yeah. Like Cordelia forces him to keep it with him, <laughs> but he's like, it's the last thing he's going to use, and most of the time he doesn't even remember that he has it. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. Um, but it's all, I like too that like they use it as a another um, sort of subversion of that like superhero tropes yeah. you know of like oh Punching I'm, I'm a superhero and, I'm, yeah. I'm locked in this place I, yeah I have super strength so I can punch through this wall and stuff it, you know it, but it, it turns out being the same thing as like jumping into the wrong car you know right, right. it was it's like he does all this he still can't reach it and Courtney just comes and opens the door like what are you doing <laughs> why didn't you just yeah. use the cell phone yeah. oh yeah 
<laughs> I say when we use the cell phone. I say when we use it. I'm, I'm the, the boss. boss. Here. <laughs> yeah. Um, funny, funny stuff. But yeah, other, I mean, other than that, like, I mean, again, most of the episode with regard to Angel's character is getting him to that point where he, you know, meets Gun and crew and then finally has an opportunity to like yeah. talk to him and and sort of they're you know they're not quite friends but like you do get the sense that by the end that like he has at least convinced gun that they're on the same side yeah um so yep agreed um the other two i well i mean so what do you want to say about david because i I feel like wesley and cordy i mean they have a little more interaction with david i honestly don't have a lot to say about either of them either um yeah, yeah, there's not there's not really a ton. Um I guess I mean <laughs> Cordy's sort of hyperbolic suggestion that she'll prostitute herself, you know, to David. You know, again with her kind of being on the fringes of, you know, not not really knowing what it's like to live like Gunn and his friends live, but kind of imagining that she's like that, you know, you know, on the cusp of like homelessness or poverty or whatever. Um, And, you know, kind of the notion that she would just throw away any notion of, or any sense of like actually being in a relationship she wants to be in just for the security of, mm-hmm. you know, having right. somebody with money to take what? care of her. And I think it's just part of this ongoing Cordelia learning to be mm-hmm. an independent grown up person, you yeah. know, and, and that that's a, she, you know, halting process. She has to kind of come to terms with that and kind of realize there are worse things than being poor, you know? Um, and she's kind of pissed off about it at the end, but, you know, she, even so, you know, she's not destitute. She's fine, you know, and she really shouldn't just go running to the first guy who hands her a check. So, but there's also something rather hilarious about Cordelia trying to convince herself that like looks aren't everything you know what i mean like you know i mean this is someone who at one point was all about the looks and like not that long ago (laughs) oh yeah yeah that's all it is and 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 not to say that cordy hasn't grown somewhat even just this season um and even in buffy like she certainly you know like the whole just the like her dating Xander was, you know, a big sort of yeah. learning to like not be focused entirely on appearances. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like this is also Queen C with the, you know, nice red sports car and yeah. like, you know, all all of the clothes that she wanted and whatever. And like even when like her family lost her money, like she was working at the shop so she could buy a really nice expensive dress, not Right. you know, to feed herself, right, right? you know, kind of thing. So like, so like, yeah, like, I don't mean to imply that she hasn't made progress and that she hasn't sort of grown and become, you know, less like that. But you also at the same time 
I'm not convinced, and I don't think anyone would be, <laughs> that, like, she actually could, like, just completely throw that into the wind for this, like, you know, nerdy, awkward, yeah, uh, you know, whatever guy. On the other hand, there was that episode where apparently she was dating Jonathan. So, you know. This is true. That didn't last long. No. So... Yeah, and I think she, you know, Wesley's pretty skeptical. And after about 30 seconds of talking, she kind of runs out of steam. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, you know, she goes through that monologue and it's like, okay, yeah, looks and personality aren't everything. And, but and they're it's pretty funny because, important, like, she, you know. I mean, because, like, you know, that is right. And that is sort of like the... Oh, you know, just be yourself. And, like, it's not yeah. always about looks and, you know, yeah. personality goes a long way. And that's all, like, that's all true. But that doesn't mean, yeah, like, you can just get rid of looks completely. Or that, like, right. if you're not if you're not attracted to the guy, then you're just not. Like, you can't force that sort of thing. Well, and, okay, maybe you could make peace with the looks aspect. But surely personality counts for a little bit more. Like, she doesn't even like him. Like, it's not even... About, oh, maybe I'll, you know, learn to find him attractive because of what... No, like, it's not... It's totally about, you know, her own security. It's not about who he is at all. Um, So... I guess, guess if anything, it could be that she's at least learned enough to ultimately be honest with herself in that regard. Like... Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I think... You know, it wouldn't be Cordy if she didn't have those moments of, at least at this stage, you know, trying to figure out how to kind of better her station. You know, like that's kind of part of her quest is to, you know, be feel more mm-hmm. secure. Um, and, yeah. you know, so I think it's kind of part of that ongoing thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and Wesley, I don't have a lot for. Um, I I kind of chuckled when he says, you know, there were lots of stories about the demon brothel in the Watchers Council. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course there were. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, I don't have a ton for him. Like, he's a more I, yeah, I don't really have anything. For you know, a, a, less starry-eyed than Cordy about, you know, more kind of focused on the generosity of the check and not so much, uh, you know, taken in by, you know, like he's he's inclined to sort of give it back and not be in his debt rather than, you know, just sort of accept it. But yeah. But well, I think and, we knew that he's a little less, uh, you know, materialist than Cordy in that way. Right. And not that, like, he probably couldn't use, like, he, I'm sure he could use the money. And we don't, like, when you were talking about him earlier, I kind of realized, like, yeah, we don't really even know, like, does Wesley have an apartment? Like, where does he live at this point? Like, right, yeah. is Angel giving him enough to actually live on his own or like what's he doing we don't have a real clear sense of that with wesley but you know so i'm sure he could use the money um but yeah like you do get the sense that he's like whereas cordy's like 
very eager to take the money and is perfectly fine with sort of David's willingness to buy his friends. Um, Wesley mm-hmm. at least feels more uncomfortable with it, although yeah. he ultimately doesn't turn it down. No, <laughs> like, no, and I like the the way they keep looking at the check as like a reminder of why they're putting up with all this crap and why they're going yeah. like Angel can I see the check again like you know at least this like really grateful rich guy is giving us a lot of money so right. you know that makes it worth and, a little bit more and like it's like they finally found like a legitimate supernatural you know incident client that can pay that like can this pay, is Cor- like this is Cordy's yeah. dream like yeah. since the beginning of like you know, can't we find people who are who need help and can pay? Like, yeah. Well, this happens to be and pay on. extra just for the pleasure of their company. Right. So, yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's a nice little bonus on top. So. Yeah. yeah. I don't. I mean, I feel like we both kind of have run down um, of things to say. I think, you know, Gun and and Angel, like we've said, kind of the two of them meeting is sort of the point of this episode, and and that's. You know, again, referring back to like what Tim Minear wrote about, uh, you know, this this episode and stuff. He he says that that's that that moment where like you get, which is actually I think the last line of it, right? Of Angel saying, you know, he might be the one who needs help, uh, is really kind of the turn. Like this is the, you know, this is the big point of the episode that it's it's something that Angel doesn't sort of acknowledge often even with like the people like Cordy and Wesley who are consistently yeah. helping him um this is like as much a growth sort of for his character mm-hmm. as it is for Gunn to sort of you know be willing to at least talk to Angel and acknowledge that they're working on the same side so yeah. um given what you already sort of pointed out with the parallels between the two of them I think you know that's a good place for us to sort of leave things. I don't I don't know that I have much more to say. No, I think uh, we're all good. So. so well well we'll be back with another episode of Buffy next week and remember we left it off with the cliffhanger sort right, of right. A, a to be continued anyway. So Yeah. We will uh, pick that up and, and then we'll have the Christmas episode I guess of Doctor Who. Yep. So all, all right. right. See you then. Thank you.